change his constants are like decided to move to New York, New Jersey in a lock, stock and barrel, uh, led to the knowledge management practice there and then found an opportunity to build a practice around healthcare pharmaceuticals within Microsoft. So that was another change moment. And so I was doing that till I ran into who would be my boss at, in Redmond here who said, well, complaining about exchange service falls. And he said, do you want to complain and do you want me to help me fix it? I said, what do you have in mind? And he said, we're building something, this office in the cloud. Welcome, everybody. My name is Haresh Singhani. This is Conversations with Haresh. We'll be talking to people of varied backgrounds, covering various topics. I'm very excited to be able to share these with you. The goal is to increase curiosity and empathy amongst all of us to help us grow professionally and personally at all levels. And of course, we also want to make sure that this is fun. So thank you again, and we'll look forward to having you. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dharmesh Singh. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Fullcast.io. It's a sales planning and revenue operations platform that rides on top of your CRM systems. In the podcast episode, Dermesh will initially briefly introduce his own journey from way in the beginning to cooling different corporate gigs at Microsoft, at Salesforce, and then the inspiration to start Fullcast. He'll also will be going into a lot of detail about the platform they are building and marketing right now, Fullcast, including what inspired them, what has been successful, what were some of the lessons and learnings along the way, and also what they're planning to do to continue to survive and thrive in the macroeconomic climate that we have today. And towards the end, we'll uh, discuss a bit about what their mission team are doing to balance the personal and the professional to achieve overall happiness and success. So without further ado, let us jump in. Welcome Dharmesh. I'm glad you're able to make time for this. This is a kind of a new experiment I was describing to you the other day. You and I, you know, we've been talking probably for the better part of 10 years, I think. And so I wanted to um, capture some of these conversations for the benefit of perhaps the next generation. I know we're both losing enough hair or uh, for some entertainment, I suppose. But again, it's awesome to always speak with you. And I'm glad we could make the time for this. Great. I was, I'm looking forward to it as well. It's always good to chat, catch up with you. Yeah, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we'll chat for whatever length of time we need to make the, the conversation interesting and useful for the audience and for ourselves. But roughly, we'll start uh, on the business side and then uh, kind of we'll move over to mirroring, you know, business and personal for overall happiness. Quick introduction. I know you've been an, an entrepreneur for many, many years, but before that you were in some large companies and you probably also traveled down the well-worn path of Indian diaspora, starting out in India and then uh, potentially finishing undergrad. I think in your case, you might have had some moves around India due to uh, dad's work. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I grew up all over in India. So if you want to just give a quick intro kind of uh, it, of your journey and how you got to where you are. And then we'll probably speak a little bit more around uh, what you're doing and uh, what's interesting and success, etc. So go ahead. I grew up in India. You were saying earlier, my father was in the Air Force, so he traveled a lot. I, growing up, I changed schools and probably I changed about 14 schools growing up. And so change had become constant. I used to joke with my friends in summer vacations. I'll probably see you. And I'll probably not see you next next school year because I'm, I might be gone. <laughs> it was always this, and probably that made me who I am because I'm very comfortable meeting new people, new places. I also start itching after some time for 
you know, doing something new. So I did college in India. I started work in Delhi, but uh, quickly had this opportunity to go to Singapore for a three-month project. And I saw an opportunity in Vietnam that was opening at that point of time. I proposed to my bosses in Delhi, hey, we have this opportunity, we can do something larger in APAC in Vietnam. And uh, it was great. I was single. Vietnam was a great place. It was still opening up. And so we started us laying out computer networks in Vietnam. And I would shuttle between Singapore and Vietnam for a while till I got married. And then that lifestyle became unsustainable. Um, so, so I decided to pick a decent job and I joined Microsoft in Singapore. So yeah, we built, uh, that was a good fun ride. I ended up uh, along with one of another friend of mine being the leaders of what we were calling the IBM Compete campaign against Lotus Notes at that point of time and building Microsoft's knowledge management practice. That brought me to New York uh new jersey and uh again change is constant so i like decided to move to new york new jersey in a lock stock and battle uh, led with the knowledge management practice there and then found an opportunity to build a practice around healthcare for pharmaceuticals within microsoft so that was another change moment and so i was doing that till i ran into who would be my boss in redmond here who said well complaining about exchange service falls and he said do you want to complain and do you want me to help me fix it i said what do you have in mind and he said we're building something this office in the cloud kind of thing that it was called I was information worker for enterprise services. It became you know, business productivity online services. Is this in the arts? Is this past 2000? Yeah, it is 2007. Yeah. So I 2007, I kind of decided to just, I had come here for an EBC to Redmond and I just called my wife and said, hey, I decided to take this role over here because somebody, they told me you want to help us. I said, yes. So we moved to Seattle and it's been great. And did that till 2013 till we re- re- mainstreamed Office 365 to Office and I went to Salesforce and then very quickly I wanted to, I was having itch to go do my own thing. So four years, as soon as I finished my four years at Salesforce, I was out uh, to build Fullcast. Yeah, so maybe uh, we can segue into a little bit about what you're doing, you know, what inspired you to kind of start Fullcast, right? And kind of what the vision was, where you saw the issues and where the opportunity was, and then how, you know, you were able to start aligning the planets and the solutions, and the people, resources, etc. try to go after the problem. But was there like a specific trigger or was this something that was brewing for a while? And then you're like, okay, this is the right time. Oh, they, were, they were definitely always has to have triggered in something. I mean, yeah, you, you, I always, always been on the side of building something anyway. So it was always anything, whether it was the knowledge management practice in Singapore, the business in Vietnam, building Office 365. I was always like, hey, let's go build something. When I joined Salesforce, I was, I'd done business planning in Office 365 team and had a few engineering teams. But when I went to Salesforce, we saw the process and, and the process was still very Excel driven to do this annual planning cycle. You know, it starts in August. Uh, goes all the way. So we, I joined in February 2013. And the first thing Bala, who's now my partner, told me was don't touch anything. I'm like, what does that mean? He says, no, we have an IT freeze. We're still rolling out territories and quotas. And so we can't really mess around with Salesforce instance. I'm like, shouldn't we have given territories and quotas already? We already started the fiscal year. I said, no, we, this is a process. It's going to take some time. It's uh, all Excel driven. And so things are still not settled. And so I was like, we had, we started having discussion around the legal compliance aspects of it because you're a salesperson starting a fiscal year. Legally, you are supposed to give them the quota and their territory. They can sue you if they only have their territory and quota because it's part of the compensation. Most people don't think of it because they're, yeah, you know, we just deal with the salespeople. We'll give them the territory and quota. But if there's a disgruntled person, he, he legally can go after you because you're impacting his comp. What if he doesn't make his quota? Right. Um, yeah, makes sense. So he didn't. He doesn't have a number. So we looked, started figuring out what the problems were, and we said that uh, we had 
I think Bala was dealing with 1,500 spreadsheets across 400 managers, uh, moving back and forth, all everything being done manually. And I told him, I said, there's got to be a better way of doing this stuff. Just to interject, I mean, it's interesting that of all the places, Salesforce is where this was exactly. going on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you would think that Salesforce would have figured this out, but Salesforce right. was was growing and things were like all over the place. Everything was Excel-driven. And, and the interesting piece was uh, the strategy is always set by people who are done MBAs. They've never actually carried quota. All right, so they can come in the fancy thing and Ivory Tower, you can come up with a territory plan, your quota and how you're going to go to market and all those things. But when the plan hits the the road, which is the sales guys, they're all up in the arms. They're like, who, who made this plan? I don't agree with this plan. I, I don't agree with my number. <laughs> even though sold it, you know what's, what's going on in my account. Right? And there's just this angst going on. And those two worlds are very different. Um, and so we looked at solutions and we said, there's got to be a better way of doing this thing. There's an economic cost to the businesses. Because that's when, you, if you're a salesperson, uh, the two things you care about is how fast to get territories and is my quota right? How did my quota move from 1 million to 1.5 all of a sudden this year? Right? I just, has, just sold a large, large deal. Those triggers become the number one drivers for salespeople to say, adios, they're going off someplace else. And now think about the cost of replacing a fully ramped salesperson. Right, you got to go find a new person. It takes time to find this person, to allow them to ramp up. It's almost a million dollars to replace a fully ramped account. Senior exec. enterprise account executive. Yeah, exactly. If you say, if you if you're selling any hundred k deals and all, right, it's just a given. Right, they, and they're not, it takes time. So we looked at options, and there was, there was nothing available. There was a platform called Anaplan, which was extremely cumbersome. We said there's got to be a better way. And by that time, Bala and I were spending some time with each other. Or I kind of knew Bala at Microsoft as well, so that was, that was familiar. Bala's background, is he a techie or a business side? He's a he's an architect. So Bala and my paths, uh, they crossed paths, right? He was an architect on the Office 365 Got team. it, okay. He went into Salesforce and started running the sales strategy side of the house. So we had crossed over. So we both had good mix of understanding of the business. I said, Bala, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And then I started noodling something in my head and what to do. Uh, but the problem was Bala was in San Francisco. I'd, I'd refused to move to San Francisco. I was in Seattle, and it was important for him to move back. So I told him, I said, we'll wait. Uh, we'll wait till the right time. And when he moved back, that's when we started Fullcast, really to streamline these two worlds. We're really essentially building a platform that doesn't exist, right? So you have the marketing automation platforms like Marketo and Eloqua. You will have CRM systems. You'll have outreach. But after that, it's just Excel spreadsheets and elbow grease. There is no platform for go-to-market planning that not only allows you to plan, but keep the plan in sync with all the things that are happening in the field because sales is all very dynamic. And, not, and when I say sales, I'm talking the go-to-market, right? Which means sales and the customer success team. And if you have a renewals team, people are always changing roles, people get promoted and all that change needs to be in sync with your plan. Nothing actually gets done, right? So for us, that was what we ended up solving for. So you started in 17, 16? Yeah, yeah, 2 2017 is when we started. And we've been at it, learning everything about how what it takes to build a business. Did you or Bala before that time carry a quota ever? I have carried quota. Okay. Right, but but uh, my quota was up in a very small quota. I was all, I've never been a direct salesperson. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. Uh, yep. But I've been in consulting and all those things. So I had my own quota, but it was not a sales quota per se. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And um, so when you were explaining this to your friends and family when you were embark embarking on the journey, and partly also for the benefit of our audience, just a quick summary, maybe elevator pitch or one or two sentence summary uh, of 
the offering. So you mentioned the the kind of the sales planning problem, right? What is the the solution? So the solution is to really build out a platform that allows teams to build a go-to-market plan and keep it in sync with all the changes in the field. So build a platform that allows them to plan and operate the plan together, right? And what we believe is that if teams are able to optimize this exercise, then they can generate at least two to ten percent additional revenue without doing anything, without hiring new salespeople, without doing anything, just getting more productivity per person. Right. So now think about if, if you are if you are a hundred million dollar business and I just told you that hey, you don't need to hire more people. I'll give you an additional twenty million dollars in ARR with your existing thing, right? And so we solve the problem that is of the status quo. The status quo for most businesses is expensive. Status quo is people reps are complaining about unfair territories, unfair quotas, which means they will leave. If you have a higher rep attrition in general, you take too long to ramp reps, right? So like if someone takes uh, enterprise sales cycles nine months and it takes you, it's nine months out of which four, four weeks the person is sitting after he gets hired to get a territory of quota. If I could bring that four weeks down to zero, I've given you a month back, which means, you know, I've got that nine month ramp cycle almost eight months. Now multiply with the 100 or 200 salespeople that you have, right? And then overall, basically our goal has been and uh, what we've seen with the platform is we've reduced the cost of sales. We increase attainment rate. Average industry attainment rate is 52%. Our customers are getting about 60%, which means you literally have to hire less, less people to do the same thing. And then most importantly, just driving the alignment as across the sales, the sales and customer success and renewals. I see, I see. And in terms of the applicability around segments or domains or customer size, et cetera, what's the sweet spot client segment you're going after? For us, customers that are about 100 sales reps or higher, or another way to think about it is 100 million in ARR or higher. That makes sense for something like this. And we've got some customers who are much smaller, but I feel when the smaller place, they have less complexity. Like if you have a 20 rep sales rep team, you have a large enough market that the sensitivity around what my territory or my quota is, is very less. And the VP of sales can in his head say, hey, you know, here's how I'm dividing the country, go. Go figure it out. It's when the pie becomes pie is the same and you're hiring more sales. Well, then the sensitivity is higher. Like, hey, I started at 50 reps. You told me my OTE is going to be 250. And you gave me a territory. And now I see you hired another 50 more people. And you're giving them the territories. You're know, recarving from my patch. So how does that impact my number? Like, will I make my number? Why did you take those accounts? Right? So it gets more sensitive. So for us, the scale, scale part is important. Uh, we don't care about domain uh, sales everybody does sales uh, in fact you know we're starting in tech but for us insurance finance retail you know those are, those are large sales sales logs when you started this effort now it's been like seven years or so uh, but initially in the first one or two years etc when you were starting what were some of the biggest gotchas or kind of surprises right and um, whether it was on the product side you know, client side, resourcing teams, you know, funding, et cetera. Maybe you have some in every one of those. Oh, there's, there's surprises all along. Like, so, for example, I was told before joining and starting a company, you should get a letter of intent signed from people to show that people are interested in this problem. And there is a problem, and it's not a problem that just exists in my head. Uh, so we did that. We put together a couple of letter of intent. It means nothing. <laughs> he realized... We took those letter of intents and we said, let's go solve the problem, right? We will build it. 
And six months later, when we saw, came back, the person said, oh, I don't feel the problem anymore. It's wow. done. Okay. Right. But it also gave us a time to pause. Okay, why, do, why does a person feel this way? Uh, so there's a combination of things. When letter of intent are non-binding, so there is definitely, I just signed it by a friend or some friend. That's the way to get rid of you at the time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, we didn't realize that. that They were like politely, yeah, I'll just sign it. You know what? The second aspect was we realized that planning alone is just probably a one-time thing. People think of it. Then they get caught into the, the daily business. What's my plan? Problem of the day today. For us, it, it, that became a product ex- extension. That's when he said, no, we, it's not just about planning. It's about building the plan and making it, operationalizing it and keeping it in sync, right? So that was a way for us to sort of start thinking. The other part was also how would we fund it? And so we had a lot of things in our head. What we knew from the get-go is we are not building a feature. This is a platform. And by definition, platforms need to be thought through end-to-end because it's like laying in the architecture. You can't go and undo stuff after the fact. It's just too expensive. Of course, yeah. With the letter of intent exercise that also told us that don't build anything that people are not going to put money on. So we were like, okay, we will we use services as a way to filter what people want to pay for. We ran our offering mostly as a services offer, not a product offer. And we said, these are problems we can solve. And what I was testing over there was which problems of these three problems that I'm going after are people willing to pay for? So whatever they are willing to pay for, we will productize that issue in the platform first, right? Otherwise, I might think of, let's go solve, uh, you know, a problem that tells you on, uh, you, you know, how to streamline go-to-market. They know, they, they, they care more about routing at that point. Like, okay, like, can we fix that issue? That's how we kind of built out the platform. So it took us a time to, took us about a year to sort of figure out all the different use cases. We, we knew the use cases, it's prioritization of the use cases. If you had to prioritize before that, like, would you have gotten it right? Or how close would you have been? I don't even know. If we, were, we would have gotten it half right. Right. No matter, no matter how much you know, your customers who are actually paying you, going to pay you, they will tell you. Now, the challenge is you can't respect, you respond to every customer ask. Sure. Because uh, that's when you started creating bespoke systems that don't scale and you need a large services company. If you want to platform I create a platform, then you have to sort of take the lowest common denominator and, and still have a viable product and build it out, right? So it was about, so the lens that I had was which use cases are, are being asked and then how often frequency-wise. So you can have those two things together to say, okay, we this has been asked, this is top asked, it's been asked 10 times. Uh, sometimes they'll ask something and we just ignore it. And we might see that after two times, they're not asking about it. So it's no longer an issue. When you describe uh, it being a platform, Right. Oftentimes, the definition of a platform entails some way for third-party partners to engage. Right. So, how do is that part of this platform, and what are those mechanisms or means? So, there are two ways to think of a platform. Right. One is the classic: we ended up becoming a platform because third-party people took dependency on us and we built on top of it. That's one way of looking at it. The other way is. There are functionalities that need to get built and put together, and each functionality builds on itself. Today, as a startup, we have control over the second part, which is we are building a platform which has got multiple layers of functionality, and each functionality builds up on itself. At the same time, we need to create an open API where third-party people can build on top of it. We are not there yet. We have APIs, but we are still a startup, right? And so we have to sort of build that mind share in the market, like we have an app marketplace, right? So it's still very early days where uh, if you're a compensation expert and you might have a compensation policy and you write that into thing, 
So then it becomes an organic marketplace platform that allows others as well to come in. Today we don't, we, we do, I mean, people, technically people can do it, but from a marketing perspective, we've not really gone after that market yet. Got it. Got it. Okay. As you look at kind of growth in into the next phase or kind of next 10x growth, et cetera, right? What is the mix do you see between partnerships or channels versus, say, direct? And I'm not sure how big your own direct team is today. Our direct team is very small. Uh, that's a place that we kind of going to invest more. We're you know, in fundraising more and doing other things right now to go build it. Uh, partnerships definitely are accelerants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will see partnerships play a part in accelerating. I think the timing of it is super important. Uh, my experience working on partnerships when I was in a large company is it's easy to sign partnerships. It's very hard to execute on the partnerships because at the end of the day, partnerships get delivered on, in the field, which means there needs to be a win-win for both sides to make money. Uh, right. In our case, because we built a platform that's no code, One aspect is what's the value for an SI? There are sales strategy partners Mm -hmm. whom we were looking to work with. For them, the value is we can help them scale. So if you're an individual sales strategy person who could probably just, because you're doing all this stuff manually, you can support only one customer. If you have full cash, you can support 10 customers, right? And so definitely the sales strategy uh, as marketplace development, those are plays, but still very early days. That's the way I think about it is always a push and a pull, right? And I'm actually seeing some of the part, like we've got some other platform companies or tool companies reaching out to us for partnership because our customers are asking them to work with us. They are telling us, hey, we get all this data from full cash. You guys should figure out a way to work with them and get the data into your system so that you can do all these things. And so what are the kind of the categories of these players? Compensation management. So, so compensation calculation engines, financial pieces, budgeting applications, sales enablement tools, enablement needs data, who's ramped, who's ramping, and where they are in the ramp profile, we have that data. So there are, there are a bunch of other players, right? Like we'll be working with some HR uh, systems so that uh, we can we can pass through API. So there, there is the API play, and there is definitely the uh, just SI sales strategy partnership. Okay. Okay. Shifting gears a little bit in terms of kind of what's happening currently, right, in the macroeconomic climate. So obviously, you know, geopolitically, Ukraine's happened uh, going on a year and a quarter. The post-pandemic hangover on the finance interest rate side is hitting us, right? Then on the tech front, ML, AI, conversational, whatever, pick your favorite Bard, chat, GPT, all those things are out there and, and they're taking up a lot of mindshare, probably uh, rightfully, as far as you know, people figuring out what do these things actually mean for my business, for my teams, my suppliers, customers, even competitors, et cetera. But taking one thing at a time with regards to, say, economic conditions, right? Uh, so raising money is harder than it was you know, 18 months ago. Borrowing money is harder than it was 18 months ago. It's certainly more expensive than it was 18 months ago. Certain types of customers are harder to sign up than they were 18 months ago. Maybe on the hiring front, it's easier to hire people, certain kinds of people than they were 18 months ago. But, you know, some of those people are still hard to find and hire. So when you look out as you're kind of tackling the highest priority challenges of the business, given the current conditions in the macro economy, what are you aiming for? What are the challenges you're targeting to solve? And what are your new tactics or current tactics to go after? I'm not sure if you're, you know, potentially looking at fundraising, but of course, every business is looking at growth and potentially, you know, adding headcount or debt financing, etc. Fundraising definitely is a priority. The way I think about it is 
there is stuff that is out of our control and there is stuff that's in our control out of our control i don't really get it so like ukraine and all this interest rates yeah i read it i'm looking at it i'm like what can we do about it nothing <laughs> so uh we have to deal with it what we have under our control is continued customer acquisition even for, for from a fundraising perspective i can spend a lot of time going doing fundraising but reality is the best proof is getting customers keep getting your customers keep your customers happy keep them renewed and i think fundraising will become easier in that case and so that's our lens as a team is like let's just focus on the customers try to close deals now yes on the customer side this they also feeling these pressures of so every customer to leave they don't have budget or budgets are locked or budgets are tight and that's a piece that we got to sort of work with them right do we change terms do we do we get you know how do we agree on terms and like what are the gives and gets every customer is unique that's part of the enterprise sales but the focus there is even before you do the gives and gets is really establishing value with them what can we do that will drive value and if the value is established and then we look at other aspects the goal for us is we know what what we know we know deal cycles will get a little longer people we need to get creative with closing the deals those two are under our control and we say we got to work on it other than that i think it's more on our message and our, how does our message resonate in this environment which that's what so far it is because when the going was good people would just hire more people <laughs> now right now when the going times are hard people you can't hire more people and so you have to look at automation as a way to sort of bridge the gap to working to our advantage but now even for that automation you got to find budget the name of our our sales team that's what we got to do so sounds like in summary focusing on the fundamentals right i had an opportunity to work with a ceo who grew up you know in pre vc times right probably his heyday would have been you know 50 years ago at that time his name was al al ginson he actually also happened to be the chairman of f5 networks for a chunk of time over 10 years he's like you know fundamentals never change market conditions macro conditions keep changing but the best way to finance your company is customer dollars customer dollars as long as you focus on the customers things will be fine and you have to acknowledge with with the customers as well that even our customers with the best interest they might want to do something they don't know budget so we got to figure out a way to work with them and get it over that hump because it's it's an interest their interest and our interest but focus on the customers I have known even during the heydays right when 2021 2020 I had some friends who were running companies where they raised a lot of money but they're so busy raising money they never got a product out the door because mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's all they were doing they were raising money and then the branding and the hiring but the product never got built and they had to shut it down they're all working back in large companies no matter but, but they, I think they listen her learned I don't like we for us from day zero I always used to say tell my team You have two choices venture money is like bad it's bad i know but it's like cocaine you get an instant high or you can get a mother's milk which is going to be slow but like let's focus on customers and that's been generally our, how our team is and i'm thankful that my entire team buys into that vision i see i see makes sense wow and are you able to give us an idea about the makeup of the team geography maybe the seniority levels uh disciplines etc yeah standard uh we got engineering customer success you know support uh, sales marketing we dispersed between boston san francisco seattle india seniority wise i mean i would say there are few junior people who come out maybe 3 4 years working experience all the way to people who worked for the last 20 years so we got different 
strengths. I think the common theme among, among the team itself is is the cultural values that we've kind of all have. So like, and, and that is something that, that's non-negotiable, so which generally becomes part of our hiring lens. Customer success, I'll tell you my team in India, they will be up even at this time helping customers, right? Uh, right now it's like, what, 2 a.m. in India? They'll be there. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, well, now it's right? 30 but uh, they, 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 yeah, they, they'll be there if, if it needs come. Nobody needs to be told what to do. They all kind of do the right thing, mm-hmm. which has allowed us to have a very lean or dispersed team. And I think part of it is how we've orchestrated our decision-making internally. Let's focus on the values and those values drive the decision-making. Generally, as long as you stay to those values. When you're courting candidates or employees-to-be, yeah, right? I, I mean, I can almost uh, speculate what the value proposition would be, but uh, transparent culture, worthwhile mission, right? Focusing on the fundamentals, not going after uh, cocaine. Yeah, yeah. We are, we are, like, for us, for us, it is like people who trust is a super important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, very transparent. I think we have, we had an oddball interview culture. We still think we can get away with it. Uh, I'm not sure how long, but we would ask people to stay and spend time with us. And we would just say, spend a day with us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to talk to anybody in the company. Mm. And anybody in the company can can talk to you as well. So yeah, I, see. I might have three people on the interview panel, but if you talk to other, other people, another person, somebody else wants to talk to, feel free. Because the idea here is that if you're going to spend eight, 10 hours, 12 hours working with us, you better enjoy your job, which means you, should, you need to know everything. Um, but also, I think in my mind, when you speak to multiple people about the vision and the mission and you hear different things, that's a red flag. I encourage people to go talk to different people how what they think of the company. Uh, why are they here? Uh, you know, I think we've got great tenure on the team and I think a large part of it is uh, it has been, it's been a self-selecting crowd. I see, I see. So we have a little bit more time left and uh, as I was mentioning in the beginning, kind of shifting towards a little bit of, of personal or holistic happiness, if you will, right? So obviously, I've been through multiple startups and those of us that have that have been through startups, they're fairly consuming beasts, right? So it definitely has to be a labor of love. The you know the financial and rewards uh, come in kind of lumps and in unpredictable intervals sometimes. And so, kind of how have you balanced your life, yourself, your family, your health, and uh, how does uh, potentially the startup life? enhance your overall life and then vice versa right and i understand you know you've got daughters who are i think they're grown-ups now if i remember right uh, so you don't have any young ones now but at some point they would have been younger right and maybe a little bit more dependent on some logistical support etc and uh, so i think you get the idea so kind of how has the balance worked out for you yeah no i agree startups are a lifestyle choice you, it's a lifestyle choice. It doesn't just impact it, it impacts everybody around you. I would not be able to do this without my family. In fact, my daughters are the motivation for me to do this. When I, I remember my wife, my wife was out of the house. I was debating, should I, should I not? Both my girls, they were still in school, um, in high, uh, just, just in high school, yeah. And they told me, Dad, you got to follow your dreams just like you tell us. And I looked at that that night and said, okay, well, you know, I can't keep telling them to go, yeah, you girls, you're going, you can do whatever you want, follow your dreams, but I'm afraid. Uh, I can smoke, you don't smoke. (laughs) Yeah. So next morning we had the conversation and they, and they have been very supportive of one. Like sometimes my wife would 
get uh, you know anxious you know, start of life and daughter will say mom just just leave him alone but it also tells you learn a lot about yourself um, i used to mentor companies mm-hmm. before i started my startup and then you realize the difference it's like at that point of time it's like i will teach you swimming because i have read the book of course versus i have actually some yep and uh, that's been always interesting as now that uh, even i did sales and strategy and you know, all when you're in it yourself it's very different as uh, so it's been a very it's a learning exercise for my myself I've, i think i've grown and become a different person it's also been an exercise in me in cutting out what was not necessary out of my life i think uh, even in my social circles and stuff i've intentionally chosen to cut things that would distract what would that I would consider a distraction and there's a stage in what, what I want to do choose to spend more time with my team my partner is one of my best friends unlike most people who say you know founder conference all i share everything we share it both of us i wouldn't say it's more one way we both share everything we share as a lot with our team as well right and i think both of sometimes i you know i've updates and downdays and we have we, we talk to our team hey you know it's a startup it's not it's a marathon we candid about hey today i'm just going to take the day off we just feel like i'm hitting the wall yeah it's okay sure sure it's okay to say that mm-hmm. right i'll be surprised if you're not hitting the wall some days and it's important to give create that environment within the company for people to say that and say you know what i i know just take the day off whatever you need to do So I think yeah overall without family I could do better on my health that's just on me I'm lazy uh I I find another email and I go so the complaint that my team has is termination we text you at 3 a.m. you're there 2 a.m. you're there like you're always there and it's part of it I I need to learn to disengage right I don't think I think Bala does a much better job than I do uh, <laughs> but he takes so he's he, he takes a great trip he's he's going to the, the Amazon to Alaska he's going to some other cool places that i take I, i take a look at his pictures i'm like you you it's it's a cool stuff you need to disconnect i i can't and that's probably i need to sort of get better at it yeah one of the things that i've heard other friends and fellow entrepreneurs and some of the, sometimes people who are leading consequential efforts in large companies and not necessarily leading the entrepreneurial journey one of the things they've mentioned uh with regards to this particular topic especially focusing on your health and kind of your core self is that and i'm not saying you're implying this but it can be a false dichotomy that one takes away from the other yeah it does they're all linked and i think uh, i i i always been spiritual but since i went to the startup path i've actually become more spiritual i would say okay. it's become a, it's a part of me where there that, that you know it may not sound rational coming from a person who's like I'm extremely pragmatic but I always believe that there are there's a higher force at work and as long as I do and we do the right thing the right things will happen sure 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 right so I think meditation has become a part of my life that I enjoy but I yes I definitely do believe that a lot of things that that someone might say hey we did it it happened nothing is coincidence there's always something that happens in design so maybe you're you're doing more than you might admit to yourself as far as <laughs> taking care of yourself yeah i do i mean I, for me that, that that part yeah yeah meditating is good i go for my walks i do listening but i can't like if somebody would say you know do i carve an hour or two hours just to disconnect and go help or like go take vacations i probably don't right 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 yeah and i find that uh, sometimes it, the you know the phase of the family also like when your kids are in middle school or high school 
then there's a natural rhythm. They have certain summers are off, then there's two or three weeks off at Christmas. And then if you have any anything you're thinking about, you kind of have to squeeze it in into those. And so, you know, in a sense, it forces the office people, which are the parents typically of the family into certain rhythms, right? And then, but once once the birds have flown off the nest. Kids are gone. Like my daughters are working now and they're gone. So I find out about a spring break when I take my dog for a walk and I see the sign on the school that says, Oh, there's a spring break going on. No wonder things are quiet. Like, I have no idea. And I have to sort of force myself. And I think part of it is also just the environment. Uh, we are a small, small startup. We've not done crazy level of funding. And I'm pretty sure it comes with its own set of challenges. But we've had COVID. We've gone through this war. We've gone through all the economic issues. And I just feel that, you know, just when we things are stabilizing and I think I could take away quickly something else hits up and I'm like okay gotta go back so hopefully it'll, <laughs> there'll be clear sailing days but I'm, I'm enjoying it. that's one, one like one of the things I've really found out is I've got a great set of investors I love all my investors they're all additive value it's more than just pure money and and what is the mix of like uh, angels or individual types versus institutions that are participating so far <laughs> Largely it's institutions. Yeah, I would say we are probably 80 to 90% in institutional. Yeah, we started as a small round with two friends and families, and there were friends who sure. trusted me. But then the rest after that, it's all institutional. That's actually impressive that they're able to be as active or, and as uh, valuable as you're saying that they are, because uh, sometimes the individual investors have more you know, they, they sometimes may be less disciplined or less demanding in some ways, but the institutional investors, right, they typically, they have to run a program, right? And so it's great that even they are able to be a supportive and adding value. So it, I think it's a question of like, uh, I think it comes from a humility perspective. I will say most, both my board members who are, in, who are investors and my independent board member, they've all been practical they've been entrepreneurs at some point some point themselves there's a lot of humility of what the, we know what we don't know there's a lot of feedback we go and i tap into them like there's also that i should have i'm like i want to think about pricing and license and i'll text them and say is there anybody in the network that you know that who can help me think through this right so it's a mutual thing and it's also being honest i think uh, as a board we're extremely honest with each other awesome so I think just like with the co-founders, right? If the relationship with the investors uh, who are significant stakeholders, right? In the in the success of the beast or in the consequences of the startup, uh, if you have, you know, good chemistry, good empathy and respect, right? Between the investors and the founders. I think what you, what you just said is the, is the key point. What you just said is key point. The investor-founder relationship, if we treat it as a parent Couples relationship, taking care of a kid together. We have a joint stake in making sure the kid is doing well. Then it works. There are certain investors, and it happens actually, I would say, in a seed stage, in a small earlier stage, where investors are just making bets across hundreds of them. So in their mind, I've got a hundred kids, like two die, three die, I don't really care. So there, there's a less commitment in that side with you because you think yeah, I'm a single parent, literally, and my spouse is missing. Right, of a partner's missing in this case, or or working against you <laughs> if you have the wrong chemistry. Correct. So so then then it then it's a problem, which I've had that experience as well. They're like, oh yeah, if, if you die, we don't really care. I'm like, really? <laughs> but uh, no, I can't say that with my current set of people. Um, I know we're close to the end of our time here. 
so we've covered a lot of ground. We, you know, started from your journey as a person or as a kid back home in India and moved around and then, uh, you know, schooling Asia, I guess, New York, then Seattle and so on. And then uh, different companies, your startup journey, and then kind of your holistic views or approach to holistic life. But uh, so, and you've been very generous with your time. No, thank you. This is good. Actually. So I appreciate that. Uh, if there's anything else you'd like to convey, perhaps a, a nugget of uh, advice, wisdom, suggestion, et cetera, for maybe some of the junior people that might be listening uh, or fellow entrepreneurs uh, with regards to empathy and how to keep your energy up while you're fighting the battle. Yeah, I think uh, it comes down to only one simple thing, you know, you have to be who you are. It can't be somebody else. You'll read, you'll see about that CEO, this company, and that. Everybody has their own journey. Your company will go through the same stage as somebody else. Yeah, but some you might like. It's like a person's life, right? You're born. Some could die in two years. Some could die in ten years. Some could die reach well into adulthood. But they all have to go through the same stages if they have to go through that. That's it. And you will be going through the same stage. You you'll you'll learn. The only people who will be really around you is your team. Take care of the people. Again, treat them the way you want to be treated. Like I, my simple thing is, be who you are. Uh, don't try to be someone else. And understand it's a lifestyle thing. You can't fake it. If you fake it, it's hard. You have to be authentic about, about who you are, and that's when you start fa- facing what are you good at, what are you not good at. Makes sense. And sometimes you know, a lot of people think I'm the CEO or I'm the leader. I need to be, need to be good at everything. No, you don't. I actually probably am the numbest guy on my team. Right, I got everybody around me is smart. All I do is I, I, I just tell them, you know what? Hey, tell me what can I do for you that you don't want to do? I'll do it, right? And that seems to work. Yeah, this last part I'm loving because I think I have hope now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm like, you know, just tell me what I just want you to do. Whatever you want to do, what unlocks you, I'll take care of that. Right? Uh, I've done everything. Like carried carried the yeah, trash out of, of the course. office and of done course. everything. So. It's fine. I think that's a that's a very good you know reminder or suggestion, right? We've all heard this before, but be yourself. Then work with the team, uh, family as well as your professional team to kind of uh, as a unit, right? You make sure you covered all the bases. You and you, uh, you know, build a company a company alone, and you know the credit for building a company into one person is is far fetched. It's no good. It's never one person. Well, that's a wonderful note to leave on. Again, Dharmesh, thank you. Yeah, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Take care.